might have noticed it's been a while. It's been more than a day. It's been more than a week. It's been too long since episode seven of Three Batter Rule, but it's episode eight. Here we are. David Eichenthal, Tom Griscom, I can see you on my computer screen. I I would I would shake your hand, but but I, I can't for some time yet. How are you? I, I'm doing great, Tom. I'm broadcasting here from our second floor closet, otherwise known as the Strategic Toilet Paper Reserve uh, compound here at the Eichenthal Lurie household. Our uh, listeners can't see this, which is a blessing. I haven't had a haircut in about three months. Eichenthal has somehow managed to keep his hair at the perfect length, and and you also appear to be staring into a box of some kind. I, I, I'm staring into a shelf with uh, linen on it. And Tom, I, I've had this perfect haircut since about 1988. It it goes with not having very much hair. Uh, on the other hand, if you were to look at the back <laughs> of my head, I currently have more hair on my head than I've had in about 30 years. So oh, we're, we're hanging don't. in there. So I, I will add to this, Tom, that uh, my wife of 49 years uh, took the scissors in hand and the cutters last Saturday, and I got a pretty good trim job. She'd never done it before. So uh, happy I, to say I, you, can, you, you can. You look clean, Griscom. You thank look clean. you. I, I feel good. I mean, my hair was getting to the point where it sort of felt shaggy, but. I, I sort of, I'm, I'm back now for public type meetings. I, I am on my way to a ponytail and I'm not looking back. That's <laughs> where I am. Move on. I have discovered, <laughs> I have discovered the magic of the baseball hat. It, it covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> Got my Oriole spring training cap on here from uh, one of our trips, Mr. Eichenthal. Mm-hmm. You can I tell it's a spring training Oriole hat because it has that ugly blue palm tree on the left side. I was wearing my Orioles hat today to Whole Foods along with my mask and my gloves. So right there with you. Usually that is the way people wear an Orioles hat. It's with a mask. (laughs) At least if you're a catcher, but. uh... No, a few fans are going to be doing it too. I think this year, if we ever uh, get a chance to play baseball, are we ever going to get a chance to play baseball since last we were together? There was this, there was this, we had the Eichenthal moment where it appeared as though everyone was going to decamp in Phoenix and, and apparently never leave buses and the Biltmore hotel. That was how it was going to work. That was going to be our baseball season. Then came the cactus league and the grapefruit league. And David, where are we on that? Are we going to have half of baseball playing in Florida and half in Arizona? And if so, what about my fantasy drafts that I've already made? Well, I can't speak to your fantasy drafts, Tom, but... Uh, oh, go ahead. Go all the way. Uh, I, I, I think that this is unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, looking less and less likely. So you've got players like Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw, who are pretty big names in the game, uh, saying wait a minute, what are we talking about? And I guess Trout's wife is expecting, and he's like, I'd actually like to see my newborn child at some point in its first year of life. And look, I think- Well, wait a minute now. What what baseball player ever said that? 
Well, you know, it's these uh, hip new kids at uh, at the ballpark these days. Tom, yeah. what can Sud- I tell you? Suddenly, suddenly I have an excuse to not be gone in the summer. Yeah, uh, uh, but I, I mean, I just think this is very hard. I, I think if you spend more than a minute or two talking about it and all of a sudden everybody's in quarantine, everybody's being tested daily. There are 3000 people. Uh, no players in the stands. It's mostly uh, no fans in the stands. Rather, it's all for TV. I just think it's very complicated. By the way, that doesn't mean it won't happen because there's a lot of economic incentive for people to make it happen. Right. Uh, uh, and and I have to tell you, this is the first time I've said this in weeks. You know, Anthony Fauci, is, Dr. Fauci has talked about this and 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 has speculated that it could happen. But when it comes to baseball, I'm a little worried about Dr. Fauci. So I did some research and it turns out that as I expected, Dr. Fauci growing up in the 1940s in Brooklyn was, of course, a baseball fan. He was a Yankees fan living in Brooklyn. Now, the only other Yankees fan living in Brooklyn that I'm aware of is Rudy Giuliani. So enough said. Here we are. Well, Tom, to add on David, where I thought we really got in trouble this week is when <clears throat> I guess the owner or somebody said, and players might have to take a salary cut. I thought, <laughs> oh, this sucker is over. Uh, we're not going there. And uh, so that to me was the first signal to add to David that I'm not sure we're going to have a baseball season. Uh, and then I think you got to get down and say, at what point? Do you say it's enough games to have a real playoff? I mean, uh, you know, we, I mean, in my mind, we're already going to be, I think, close to what would have been the uh, all-star game time before things might be back in play. And then we know there's a couple weeks to get players back in condition so we don't end up with a whole bunch of sprains and thrown out arms and stuff like this. And then the bigger issue is, Oh my gosh, there might not be football. So, I mean, you've got all this mixing going on. The piece that got lost, and I'm going to always, as you guys know, come back to it. <clears throat> what happens to minor league baseball? Do we still have this nutty commissioner out there trying to get rid of baseball teams uh, for whatever reason? Yeah. Uh, because we're, you know, love the game, as you all know, played the game growing up, but. We've also got these players at minor league trying to get up there who do not make anywhere near the money the major leaguers do. And they're basically sort of just sitting out there. <clears throat> That's right. And in fact, they are, as we've discussed, and as has Tom Griscom invigorated, including uh, your mayor, uh, invigorated, uh, full disclosure, the law firm uh, for which I work represents minor league baseball. We are all invigorated about minor league baseball, and it is caught up not just in the disease, but in uh, a renegotiation of the rules and uh, Major League Baseball's collective bargaining agreement, the National Association rules that govern professional (laughs) baseball in this country say a lot about uh, the minor leagues. In fact, that prescribes the, the practice of baseball in the levels that are not Major League Baseball, as Major League Baseball calls itself. You know how they got to do that, by the way? They just did. Major League yeah. Baseball just did. They just said, we're the major leagues, 
and you, the Pacific Coast League, and you, the American Association, you aren't. That's how we got Major League Baseball. Um, but but <laughs> I, I think it's a great question. Um, and, and with that comes a lot of people, and, and we should feel um, sad for these folks, a lot of people who sell the beer and the popcorn and the programs and keep the grounds trimmed and train the players and play the music and announce now batting the first baseman number three darren johnson i don't know why i thought of darren johnson in that moment but i did um a good hit no field first baseman for the braves <laughs> and phillies i think in the 1960s and 70s but maybe the white Sox too darren johnson but that's uh, that is where we are, and I I think the the more ridiculous scenarios that are developed, I think the more you're going to want to hit, listen to this sound. I'm going to play a sound for you. Tell me if you recognize it. Ready? Here we go. Got that sound? Let's try it one more time. What's that sound? That's the sound of dice. That's the sound of APBA baseball dice, gentlemen, being thrown against a hard wooden desk. And that is the sound that's going to get us through this summer, because I am going to tell you that in the event there is no live baseball this year, I am going to make it through with the replay of the 1966 American League. I'm finished with the first week. My Orioles have a little work to do. I'm here to tell you the Detroit Tigers look like contenders already. There's plenty of baseball in the Lee household. I don't know what the rest of you are complaining about. And, Tom, one last point here is we really ought to be careful if we tell people we don't need this long season. It's okay to play 60 games yeah. or whatever. I mean, I, I mean, as bright as this commissioner is who talked about the World Series trophy is just a piece of metal, uh, I'm sure he's <laughs> thought through all of these great decisions being tossed around about playing with no fans and playing here, playing there, uh, <clears throat> this abbreviated season, you might get to the point where people say, it's okay. I yeah. hope they don't get there, but I'd really like to have somebody, as David shared a week or so back with us, who said, yeah, maybe we ought to ask the fans. What do they think? Just maybe we ought to ask them. Why not try that? What, what a crazy idea to ask the people who actually have to show up, eat the hot dog, turn the turnstile, uh, maybe they've got an opinion, probably not, because the same cast of characters won't get rid of minor league baseball or making these decisions. That's right. So can I offer up some good news about this? I wish you would. Please. <laughs> so, yes. You know, Tom, Tom Lee, you're going to you're going to spend the summer replaying the 1966 uh, American League. I'm going to spend the summer listening to people like Tom Griscom read about Jackie Mitchell and uh, uh, watch a, a, a great new video series by John Krasinski from The Office, who uh, literally calls it some good news. And the latest episode involved a bunch of doctors and nurses from a hospital in Boston who were literally cheered on the field of Fenway Park by the entire mm. roster of the Boston Red Sox. I, I keep going back to the fact that, yeah, baseball is a bunch of major is about a bunch of major league teams playing, and 
it's it's uh, it, it it's about a bunch of minor league teams playing, but it's more than that, right? It's it. We talked about this, I think, on the last episode. It really goes to the heart of what it is uh, to be in this country, and and you know, Krasinski's video shows a bunch <clears throat> of kids playing in their backyards, fathers hitting balls over the top of their houses to impress their kids, <laughs> uh, really getting back to the basics. So I think baseball could survive uh, not being played this season as long as that sort of core, the sort of roots of what it means to to love baseball continue. And, and Tom, you've got to read more stories for the Chattanooga Public Library, but they all have to be about baseball. (laughs) Uh, David, thank you. It was so much fun to do it. By the way, we watched a show it's every Thursday evening from the White House Historical Association. The one this week, so on Thursday, is about Abraham Lincoln. Last week was about presidents and baseball. Mm. It was really, really good. And I just share that because, to your point, there are some good things out there. We, made, we finally got time to sort of kick around, look around, <clears throat> find some of these. It was a great show. I mean... Uh, I'll share this with my two other friends here. They decided that the one president who was the most friendly to baseball, Richard Nixon, that Richard Nixon had baseball players who were personal friends. And I mean, so it was fascinating. And why pitches, pitches were thrown from the first base stands. And then all of a sudden, after Washington lost its ballpark, we come mm. back and now we pitch from the pitcher's mound. And we have to make sure a, a president knows how to toss the ball over the plate. <clears throat> yes, and that's um, that's too much, by the way. Uh, just and, and that's taking nothing away from the great George Bush, who threw the most memorable pitch off the mound. He gets full marks from me on this. That that strike he threw right after September 11 in 2001 in the World Series uh, in Yankee Stadium, it was it was a great American moment. And, uh, you know, he's wearing a bulletproof vest underneath a Yankees jacket and he he zinged it in heart of the plate about knee high. Uh, It was a great moment. Um, you know, for a time, Orioles fans, the the Orioles sort of played the the part of the Washington Senators. Yes. Uh, so the 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 president, if the president chose, could go to Baltimore. Bush did. Obama did. Uh, others did. Reagan um, did. I've Reagan got a did. Reagan story. I've got a Reagan story. Good. Tell go it. ahead. <laughs> no, no, tell it. I was just going to say that it it was not a great so, substitute, and baseball has now given up on it. Of course, now the Washington right. Nationals are back. Right. So President Reagan was in Memorial Stadium before it moved. they moved to Camden Yard. <clears throat> and we know this story because when I went into the White House with Senator Baker, uh, the advance guy who worked the event said, you all need to understand <clears throat> that uh, how decisions are sort of made. And mm-hmm. said, OK. He said, so President Reagan was in at Memorial Stadium throughout the first pitch. And, of course, there were... Uh, <clears throat> Phones, White House phones in the dugout, uh, just to check and make sure nothing happened. So the phone rings, and it's the first lady. And mm-hmm. the first lady says to the, the advance guy, why is my, pre- my, is my husband 
out there today throwing a pitch. So because it's opening day for baseball, said it is not a good day to travel. So this was the opening saga in the astrologer. That's how it started. That's how it first really got out. Yeah. Holy cow. And she got the number for the Orioles dugout? No, they had put White House phones. Ah, okay. So that phone rings, picks it up, and who's on the other end? The first lady. Wow. So when we went in, they said, I'm sharing, we're sharing this story with you and Senator Baker because this is real. You need to understand it. <laughs> it was a baseball game, okay? <laughs> he came home fine, right? I mean, the president uh, made it and, home safely. Actually, and the ball made it over the plate, okay? It was a good day to travel. It's always a good day to travel to a ball game. Tom, I, I think like you think that we can survive a year without baseball. If what we get back in return is baseball as we have known it. And, and the, the evidence of that uh, was uh, I watched a few nights ago, the replay of the Cal Ripken 21 31 game. And there was a lot about that. I had forgotten. I was there. And I have the ticket on my wall right here from that game. I was in the ballpark that night. And still, I had forgotten a lot about it. But what I had really forgotten was the context in which that game was played. Because 1994, the season prior, is the year that the baseball players strike. There is no World Series. There are no playoffs. The season ends essentially in... August. It is the one year the Montreal Expos are in first place and they are not able to finish the season and bring a World Series to Olympic Stadium, <laughs> one of the great dumps of all time <laughs> in professional sports, just one of the dumps. <laughs> but the, the, the city of Montreal loved their Expos. They were denied it in 1994. We were all denied a World Series. And there was a lot of talk that baseball could not come back, that the harm that had been done, the wound was so grievous and so deep that it could not come back. And we sort of muddled through the 1995 season. There's really nothing terribly memorable about the 1995 season, except for that one night in September when Cal Ripken does the singularly unremarkable thing. <clears throat> of suiting up and taking his position at shortstop and making it through the four and a half inning mark when the game becomes official against the California angels. And there are two stories about that night that are to me amazing. Everyone knows the story about Ripken running around the outside of the stadium, high-fiving people as he as he jogged around the, the field. And it's, it goes on and on and on, and you just can't believe it. It's so amazing as it goes on and on. But two things happened that night. Thing one is Bill Clinton, the president of the United States, was in the Orioles radio booth when Cal Ripken hit a home run that night. And he said to John Miller, who was then the Orioles broadcaster, when the count went to three and one, <laughs> Miller said, 
you know, Cal's, uh, Cal's kind of a team player, Mr. President. He's the sort of guy that's going to take a pitch to get on base, don't you think? And, and the president of the United States says, I don't believe I'd throw him a strike in this situation, John. Bam! Out it goes. And the reason I know this for a fact is because I was in the Oriole souvenir store buying a shirt. As that moment happened, I did not see it. But I heard it, and I heard the president of the United States call that shot, and I thought, well, now that is the definition of a good night. (laughs) The other amazing thing that happened that night was, and this is evident through the rebroadcast of the show, of the game, Joe DiMaggio is there, and Joe DiMaggio is the living connection from Cal (laughs) Ripken to Lou Gehrig. Joe had played with Lou in the late 1930s in New York. And at times during the game, DiMaggio does not appear to be happy. Uh, I don't know if he didn't want to be there. I don't know if the appearance fee wasn't high enough. I don't know what it was. I'm not a Joe DiMaggio fan. Fans of the podcast, I hate to depress you. I am not a Joe DiMaggio fan. But DiMaggio comes on the public address. I don't care, David. I don't care (laughs) what you're showing me about Joe DiMaggio. I don't like him. I don't like him. He doesn't treat people nice. And, and he, he, he does not go on the field. Mind you, he does this from the press box and his voice, Cal, I know Joe, I know Lou is looking down now and he's proud of everything you've accomplished. Well, you don't have to like Joe DiMaggio for that to be amazing. Joe DiMaggio. I never thought I'd be in the same room as, you know, we've all been in rooms with presidents. No big deal. But Joe stinking DiMaggio. <laughs> Something else. Well, this is good because we're talking a, a lot about how things reopen. When we talk about baseball. I think there's as much of a challenge and helping people think through how we reopen, when we reopen, what reopens, and to get people comfortable with the fact that just a few months ago, you could walk in any place, didn't have to worry about this, that, or whatever. That's right. But that for some period of time, you're going to walk in someplace, they may put a thermometer on your head. Yes. They may ask you, I mean, when Walmart decides... <clears throat> that all their employees beginning today are wearing masks. Yep. We're talking about Walmart. That's pretty significant. And, and, and as we've spent this time, I think appropriately talking about, does baseball start? When does it start? How would it start? What would they do? I think those same kind of issues are things we're wrestling with as a country for, we know we're going to reopen at some point, somehow. And things are starting to move that way. But it's going to be so different and it's going to be so important, I think, for people to realize that uh, uh, this, this is, you know, your, your, your lifestyle is changing. And I just sort of want to drop that in, Tom, as you, as you finish your story, because we, we've got to figure out how people understand that as things move through this reopening phase, Uh, It's still going to be a period of time and a change in how we've done things 
typically done things. I mean, even after 9-11, you know, we had a brief period, we got back to things. But this is different. And, you know, I think that's so right, Tom, because when, when Ripken breaks that record, and with the exception of the drama of him hitting the home run, People say, well, that's the moment that brought baseball back. Well, what was that moment really? I mean, there was some there was some interest around the night and some magic, but it was a baseball game. At the core of it, it was two teams going nowhere in early September. And there's I mean, Mike one of the great things completely forgotten of that game. Mike Mussina was the Orioles starting pitcher. He threw 140 pitches because he did not want to come out of Cal's game. It was just pitchers throwing to catchers and hitters trying to hit the ball. It was the natural and, and necessary graces of, of a game that is century, more than a century old. And I think that it, has in that moment something to offer the rest of us. You know, I I know there are politicians who are given to hyperbole, and that's sort of the nature of the game. <clears throat> but this this idea that there is going to be an explosion of or 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 a magic moment where May, whatever it is, everything has changed is just not true. And we're gonna come back to that moment that you described just a few weeks ago. And I think the only way back really is the way back through a baseball game. It's pitch by pitch, runner by runner. In this case, it's grace by grace. I'm really glad to see you. I've missed you. It's taking people seriously when they say, I don't want to hug you right now. And I hope you'll respect that. And it's also, frankly, having the grace to say, I, I'm really happy to see you, Tom, but I'm, I'm not going to shake your hand right now. I, someday I'm really looking forward to being able to do that again. And, and having that ability one to another to rebuild community, what I don't think gets that done is with all due respect, the guy standing on the street corner saying, I need my Applebee's reopened so I can get my sweet tea refill in the restaurant. Right. right? It's not the, it's not the don't tread on me signs respectfully. That doesn't get us anywhere except where we've been. And wouldn't it be nice if we came back into relationship, into community with one another in a way that actually recognized we missed that community and those relationships while we were apart. And that baseball, for those who criticize as being slow and boring and all that, baseball, for those of us who really love it, and the three of us do, it's, you, you pace yourself. You think about it. You think through what you're doing. You actually enjoy the strategy that's going on. But it allows you, just because of the pace of the game, to actually have a period of time to stop, relax, to think, and not just this, you know, this constant motion like you know, some people are going to run back into. I want to add to your sweet tea thing because I saw that too. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, that same person has a mask on. 
to him and say, now, hmm, that's a <laughs> right. lot ironic. See, <laughs> see I, I didn't think it was hilarious. I, I think it's just David, really I'm sorry, sad. by the way. Tom, Tom and I just monopolized that last 10 minutes yeah, of conversation. Right. We missed you. We could let our listeners know that's because my power is at about 4% right now. So, so you guys did a great job. I mean, maybe the way to close this, though, and, 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 and Tom, this is why I tried to show you the book as I was uh, uh, flashing signs instead of talking during the podcast. The great so Richard Ben the Kramer, by the way. That is a great book. And it is a great book. And Richard Ben Kramer probably wrote one of the best political books of our time called What It Takes. Yes. And and about the 1988 uh, presidential election. And I, I think part of this and part of what's so depressing and upsetting about what's going on right now is the lack of clear voices of leadership to help us get through the slow process that you and, and Tom both uh, described. And and that's what makes this harder, uh, I I think. I think, I mean, I saw some of the president's tweets that led to the rallies or whatever you want to call them, the protests over the weekend. And, you know, can you imagine if Abraham Lincoln had Twitter and he was tweeting out, secede Alabama? I, I mean. <laughs> Liberate Sumter. Yeah. Well, so, so I mean, I think it is a time to turn to some of the lessons of baseball, but also the lesson and some of the lessons that Richard Brand Kramer does a great job telling in the story of Joe DiMaggio. I think he wrote a similar great book about Willie Mays, if I remember right. He did. But, but, but also to some of the lessons learned about presidential leadership and the the need to for all of us to do better in the absence of it. I. If these moments am drawn back, and it happens a lot, so if I bore you, I apologize, everybody, but I am taken back to the <clears throat> brilliant 1999, 1998 essay by Bart Giamatti, who was the president of Yale University, gave that up to become commissioner of baseball, thereby perhaps holding the two greatest jobs in the United States of America in one lifetime. <clears throat> and um, as we know about Giamatti, we know two things about him as baseball commissioner. We know he loved the Boston Red Sox. That was his hometown team. And we also know uh, that Pete Rose put him in the grave, that the Rose controversy was so draining uh, on Giamatti that he suffered a heart attack um, almost immediately after wrapping that case up that resulted in what is still Rose's ban from the Hall of Fame. Giamatti writes an essay after Bucky Dent breaks his heart at the end of the 1978 uh, season, and, and it's called The Green Fields of the Mind. And this is, this is how it ends. Of course, there are those who learn after the first few times they grow out of sports. And there are others who were born with the wisdom to know that nothing lasts. These are the truly tough among us, the ones who can live without illusion or without even the hope of illusion. I am not that grown up or up to date. I am a simpler creature tied to more primitive patterns and cycles. I need to think something lasts forever. And it might as well be that state of being that is a game it might as well be that in a green field in the sun. 
And that is what we're talking about. I think there are those who will say, well, we just have to muscle our way back to whatever it was that we thought was grand and glorious two months ago. And just like the game will not let you hit a six-run home run, you simply can't do it. I think you simply can't muscle your way back into an economy or into a city. You can't do it. There are rhythms and there are rules, and it takes time to rebuild trust and to rebuild community, and we're going to need that time. And I think if we give ourselves that time, recognizing that there is a struggle that comes with that and recognizing that there are those who will lose more disproportionately than others because of that, then I think we have a chance to bring this back, even if it might not be the way that any one of us would have drawn it up. But, but if, we, if we just try to shove our way back into um, uh, great balls of fire, I think we will be disappointed and I think we will deepen our division and not bridge it and not solve it. We need to learn and understand how we got to where we did not just from the health standpoint, but also as businesses, because there's some fundamentals that probably need to be looked at and say, what did you not do right that maybe you should have done? Mm -hmm. And out of this, you're right. It's a pacing to come back, because if not, those same companies are going to fail again. There is a fragility, <laughs> I think. This virus has not caused problems. I would say it has exposed them. Yes, and it has exposed mm -hmm. the fragility of our social compact with one another. It has exposed the fragility of an economy where we are <clears throat> fortunate to be able to visit great towns like Chattanooga and Nashville and to have people who will serve us hamburgers and take our ballgame tickets and in the bargain not be paid so very much for that. There is a fragility mm -hmm. to having an economy where uh, folks, after four weeks of sitting at home, four weeks are desperate to yeah. stop it. And those voices, frankly, are the voices that are prevailing right now uh, for whatever one thinks of them. Um, and I, I think there is something to them. I think there is something to the economic anxiety that people feel. It's real. It's not a fiction. Um. And, and this virus has given us a clearer vision, perhaps, clearer than we wanted, perhaps, of that time. Eichenthal, what are we going to... Yes, sir. What are we going to pull out of this? What's going to be our takeaway moment as we shift into open season once more, when you can finally get a haircut? And so can I. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna be sporting that pon ponytail for a long time. I think, but uh, I really hope that's true. I, yeah. I, 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 I we'll see. Look, I mean, I I think that the the key here is much as we talked about baseball and the idea of not it being a question of when it comes back, but how it comes back and what it looks like. I think that's the same thing for the nation as a whole and certainly for our economy. I think there are a lot of smart people now who are starting to think 
not just about the immediate economic and fiscal crises that we're going to be dealing with because of COVID-19, let alone the public health crisis, mm -hmm. but, but what recovery really looks like, right? How do we address some of the longstanding issues that you and Tom were, were talking about? Uh, that, 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 that's why I think that, you know, I don't think what happened this weekend was hilarious. I think it's really sad and points to the type of division that, that, that you both mentioned. So how do we heal that? How do we not just get back to where we were in January or December, where you had, you know, the, the, a large portion of Americans who are feeling the brunt of this crisis now trying to struggle and figure out what they would do in the case of an emergency just like this. How do you recreate a 21st century social safety net? How do you rethink what the, oppor what the opportunities are in, in the economy, not just of next month, but next year and the next decade? That's the moment I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for that conversation to begin and for people to engage and for the people who were out protesting on the Walnut Street Bridge to realize that actually government can't solve every problem, but it can solve certain problems. And working with business and working with the nonprofit sector, we could get to a better place. I want, I want to go to the protest on the Walnut Street Bridge in a few months that isn't a protest, but it's a rally for our economic future. That's the moment I'm waiting for. Yep. I think that's right. And I think that's I think that is the question before us. And and I I appreciate you raising it because I think it's going to take frankly some discussion of that question to keep it in the fore. That's why we're here. And that's why unfortunately, we've managed to exhaust another perfectly good 40 minutes of our time and our listeners time, but we will not be this long apart from you again. Suffice to say, a lot has happened. A lot is going to happen. Uh, when we come back next time, who knows? We'll be uh, reopened and uh, happy days. We'll be here again. And uh, it'll be uh, a great day in the morning. Maybe we'll all be at a ball game in a week and a half. That would be a surprise, but maybe. Couldn't be that bad. Three Better Rule is a production of Kerry Hayes and his Skype account, Tom Griscom, David Eichenthal. Gentlemen, it is always good to see and talk with you and to all of our many, many dozens of fans out there. We'll see you again next time.